for me to get access to the studio, so I started by sweeping the studio. So I'll come in the morning, I'll clean the studio. So because I was so useful, so they, then they started giving me the studio key. Then because of I always had the studio key, then me and Jesse became friends. We became so close because Jesse will come and walk overnight. I'll give him the key. They just will walk overnight. After I walk overnight, I'll come and clean. This way, he, he had more access to the studio. And then that's how I met Emma in that process. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Made It Here podcast. My name is Kilo and today I'll be speaking with a special guest. Abuchi Ugu's journey is basically a blueprint for getting up and getting it. Through sheer grit and hard work, he has gone from sweeping the studio in Joss to being the engineer who helped launch the careers of various A-list Nigerian artists and is currently Vice President of Being Creative and the Chocolate City Music Group. So without further ado, let's get into it. I grew up in Joss. I went to school in Jos. I went to secondary primary school in Jos. Went to University of Jos. Then got on a degree from uh, I have a diploma in insurance from University of Jos. Then I have a degree from National Open University of Entrepreneurship and Management Studies. I moved to Lagos about 10 years ago. Okay. Oh, about wow. 12 years, about 12 years ago. So I moved to Lagos to work. So originally I, I would be sound engineer. Like that's like the core. That's how I got into the music business as like a sound engineer and I got a job to work for a media house called Kiss Kiss Event. So Kiss Event it was owned by a guy called Houti. I don't know if you know Houti. So Houti was the guy that managed P Square. Yeah, I remember Houti. Like that's a, that's an OG. That's an OG. So he so I think he came to Joss to do like a party for Diamond Bank like about 13 years ago. So then I think he needed someone to do a jingle. Then he spoke to P Square. Then P Square said, Oh, you should talk to Mekai E. And then Mekai E was working with me in the studio I was running in Jaws. Then that's how I met him. I think they were trying to do something, trying to split some voices. It wasn't working, but I think I was in school then. I was in school and I had a studio. So then I shoot back. Then I saw them trying. Then I, I figured it out like in short time. Then how T was just like, Oh, wow. Was my plan? So we're just having conversations. So he was like, Ah. Do I want to come to Lagos? So I was just like, oh, why not? And already we MI and Jesse and Ice Prince were all together in Jaws. So before I started this my studio, I used to work with MI and Jesse and Ice Prince, and we had the studio in Jaws. So I already Ice Prince just moved, Jesse just moved. Jesse was more in Abuja and Ice Prince was more in Abuja, but MI just moved. That's when he just moved to Lagos. He had a single already. Then um, I was just like, oh, why not? So I came to Lagos. I got a job with him. I, I was working as a sound engineer. I used to produce a radio program. So I, I think I used to produce African Top 10. And the host of that show used to be Cynthia. I don't know if you remember Cynthia. She won like the biggest act. Yeah, I think I remember. I think I remember a long time ago. long time ago. So she used to be one of the people that I used to produce a show for. Then I used to produce... At that time, Inspiration FM just came up. So okay. I used to do like Greenlight District for Inspiration FM. I used to produce like four radio programs a week. So that's how I moved to Lagos. I started doing that. Then after a year, I left. I left. I came to work with MI. Because I was still with MI and Jeannie at that point. MI was squatting with Jeannie. I was squatting with MI. Then Ice Prince and Jesse. So it was just one house with a bunch of people. Then the whole idea was I should quit work and let's come and build this whole 
thing. So that's why I quit. I stopped working with Houti, then came. Then, started, then I was an engineer in-house. So I used to engineer for MI, Ice Springs, Jesse, Banky, Whiskey. I felt like that year, every album that came out, I mixed and mastered from Jimmy's album, from um, Banky's album came out that year. This was like 2011. Okay, so quick question. How did you go from studying insurance to being a sound engineer? Like, those are like two polar opposites. Like, how did that happen? I felt for me at that time, it's not like I was good at school. Like, just look back at it. People around me always felt like I was good at school because once I look at something, I, I understand. Once I just understand something, I can, like, I'll be good. So, people, like, it's not like something I was good at. Like, school, I felt like school was a waste of time. Mm. and like them because it was not entering like you know how some people just understand like people go to school like they're crazy about school they understand for me it wasn't that easy for me i always prefer like practical working on things Mm -hmm. you get what i'm saying and then seeing things unfold so how i got into engineering there's this studio that was a compound next to my house in joss so there's a guy called big joe Big Joe had like, he has one of his hands is bad, one of his hands is good. He was a great keyboardist, one of the best keyboardists I've seen. But he plays with one hand, sort of. So then they opened the studio and then I spoke to my auntie and my auntie was just like, oh, okay. I'll talk to them, let them see because I've always been a fan of music. But I couldn't sing. So I was just talking to her because she, was an, she, she had an album then. That, then it was a cassette. So, mm-hmm. so I was talking to her, she was like, oh, that's what they call an engineer. Engineer. Or a producer. So these are the people that make the beat. So I was just like, oh, okay, good. And so, so she spoke to them. That's how I started going to the studio. And going to that studio, so she spoke to them. They said, oh, I can be coming to Hangout. So when I went to that studio, that's how I met Jesse. And this, I was like 18 years old then. So meeting Jesse, so me and Jesse became friends. So Jesse was like, I think Jesse was like a senior brother to me. Like Jesse was like 20-ish, 22 so Jesse became like me and Jesse became very cool. And then Jesse was a producer and I was an engineer. For me to get access to the studio, so I started by sweeping the studio. So I'll come in the morning, I'll clean the studio. So because I was so useful, so th- then they started giving me the studio key. Then because of I always had the studio key, then me and Jesse became friends. We became so close because Jesse will come and walk overnight. I'll give him the key. Then Jesse will walk overnight. After working overnight, I'll come and clean. This way, he, he had more access to the studio. And then that's how I met MI in that process. But just how I became an engineer was I was looking. So I go to school, I come back, I go to work. So I started by just looking. And that's how I became an engineer. Just looking and hearing. Just time mixing for what I hear. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's a great story. So um, moving forward, back to the story. Um, you've moved to Lagos. Um, yeah. MI had, MI had moved to Lagos. Um, Ice Prince had moved to Lagos. I'm guessing Jesse yeah. Jacks had moved to Lagos at this point. Right. Yeah. Um. So were you were you a part of that first MI album? Talk about it. No. What year was talk about it? I think talk I about think that was it. 2009 or 2008. No, no, no. I wasn't just. But before MI came to Lagos, I've heard most of the songs. I was part of those songs, but most of those songs were not like MI reworked on most of the songs. Yeah. Okay. So um, you quit um your day job. Yeah, moved in with Mi and uh, Jesse and Ice Prince and everyone. Now, what projects are you guys working on at that time? So you see, with Mi and Jesse and Ice Prince at that time, we we're just creating. Mm. It wasn't like 
with, with them at that time was not like about oh this album was coming out was this we're just creating because before we had like inner hub we had just we had like the whole loopy crew we just wanted to make music so we're turning our music all the time and mi was you know mi is a songwriter so he wrote a lot of songs for people mm. so the whole idea was to create a hit factory to just be turning out hit okay and um did you did you guys I, sometimes i wonder um did you guys have any idea how what you were doing was going to affect or like move the niger rap industry in all honest i'm not sure we did come think about i'm not sure we did because we're just like from joss i felt like in justice either you, you become an alcoholic or you become a drug head or you look for music or something because there's nothing to do so music was sort of like the passion was like sort of the self heaven so coming to lagos was a big deal mm, okay so it's not like we had it planned out. I felt like maybe M.I. sort of had it like, he had sort of maybe had an idea, but no, we didn't really thought like, oh, this was going to be big. But over time, maybe we grew up into it. So when I moved to Lagos, I'm really passionate about sound. I love sound. And so I met the like, same people that I met that were like sort of almost my age mates that were running tents, which for example, one person was Asa Sika. And somebody, before I talked about it, said, somebody I met, Osage. Osage. So Osage used to manage Whiskey. And she was managing Kel. And so when Kel was coming up, Kel and Emma were coming up at the same time. So there was this whole rumor. We're like, oh, Emma and Kel were dating. So just to create conversation about it. So then we create alliance. So Whiskey was like, Whiskey used to come and hang out at the house all the time. So Whiskey was our guy. And all those relationships was made possible by Osage. So mm. then that's how me and Whiskey relationship developed. And we're still cool people. Till then the same circle, then that's how Asa came to the circle. So Asa was the guy that was Asa, you know how you have that friend that runs that works in the club. Yeah. That you know when you're going to club, you're going to call, you're going to get a good seat. Somebody that knows everybody. So Asa was that guy. So then that's how me and Asa became close. Then Asa called me out of the blue and was like, Oh, I have this boy. There's this guy, his name is David. He's trying to put out music. What's up? And this then I was already MI's personal manager. Then I started managing MI. So I grew up from sound engineer, I became MI's personal manager. From personal manager, then I became business manager. So at that process, I already know more about music. So we had this conversation. So he played me the video song. I think it was back when. And I think I, I mixed the song and mastered. I can't remember. So I used to mix and master for the banky for everybody. They used to pay me like 5K. And I think them, they would do with one that and it's like they paid me 20K at that time, which was huge. So then that's how I became, me and Isa became cool, started hanging out. And then I used to build studios for people. And then I think David, David introduced me to his father. Then I built the studio. So David does that. Part of the deal with David do for him to come back to do music was that was supposed to make, give him a studio. So he introduced me to his dad. Then I built, I built a studio for him. So the dad had that office for them. And then during this process, it was Davido, Asa, and Adik, um, Davido's senior brother, his stepbrother. So we became close at that point. So we used to hang out all the time. So that's how we became close. Then I became close to Davido's dad. Then after building that studio, I built the studio at Babcock. The dad dedicated the studio. So I built the whole audio department for Babcock, then that's how the relationship evolved. 
Okay. I feel like that era was. I feel like that era was golden. Well, not golden, but like that. That was a special. That was a special time in Nigerian music when, um, you know, we had the Chuck Boys. We had um, yeah. we had Whiskey dropping his debut album. We had Davido dropping his debut album. We had uh, I. You know, like that was that was a great time. So what, like, what did it feel like to be a part of that era? Mm. So you see. That's one thing I'm realizing now, just saying that sometimes we need to just sit down and just, like, you have to enjoy the process. Just looking back, back then I'm realizing, oh, we had a great thing. But I was so, sometimes we get impatient waiting for the next big thing that we forget the process. We forget to enjoy the process and forget to enjoy, okay, this is happening now. Let me catch my breath. Let me understand what's happening now. Let me say, oh, this is happening. I, want, I was part of this. Let me enjoy it. So for us, when this was happening, I didn't see it like... Like with, mm-hmm. now with social media, was, it's different. Like then, the only big social media you had was Facebook. And then Alaba was a huge thing. So you just don't see the impact direct the way you see the impact now. Like now you could measure impact real time. Like you could see from your social media is growing. You could see things. But then it wasn't like that. So then you were, were not seeing it the way people could see it in real time. Mm. so i think it was a journey and it was a great experience something a lot of people need to realize was before two-face before people like two-face now music if he came and created what music was then so it was the kenny's music that came then if it came more heat came chocolate city came took it so it was building 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 before then there was no music industry what happened was before then we had Warner Music, we have Premier Music, we have every big international label in Nigeria. But during the military era, with the whole Felatin, everybody, all the international people pack up their bag and left. Mm-hmm. So then Kenny Music came and created something from scratch. Because I remember when I came to Lagos, they were playing, it was 80% of American music or 90% of American music. And they play a few Nigerian songs. So just looking bad, back, so when I see that I calculate, it was like a shift in the process that I was happy to be part of. But just looking back, is now that I could say, oh, this, this happened. But when I was in the process, I didn't realize this was happening. So now I have a new motto, which is you have to enjoy the process. Because mm. before you know tomorrow is here, then you're like, oh, what did I do yesterday? Yeah, that's, that's so true. I've had, the, I've had the privilege of spending time around, like personally spending time around you, um, hanging out with you, um, being around MI. Mm. And one thing I've noticed is there's this there's this feeling of brotherhood. And that was one thing I really admired. There was this um there was this sense of a fraternity. Like you guys were there was a bond. So which yeah. which which made me wonder like how did it feel when like gradually the Chuck Boys kind of broke apart? Um I can't imagine it was easy. Like how 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 did that feel? Was it was and was it strictly contractual or like was there something else involved like egos or whatever so you see what people don't realize is that once people start growing like change is going to happen regardless so it's like if you you keep on growing one day you're going to tell your father and be like oh it's time to move yeah i want my own space i need to move so i just feel like it was just bound to happen but looking back i felt like there are things we could have handled better which is like now just thinking about it and looking at how everything is, it's like the sky is wild for everybody to fly. So you can do your own thing. I can do my own thing. We can all be together. 
you get so there's a proverb that says if you want to go if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together or something like that yeah so i just looking at what could have been i feel like if we had stayed together just grew up together it could have been something different like if i was watching like um like american gangster you saw like when they talk about like the new york family the core people that start you're like a family thing once this person start growing you know this is the family he's from okay this person goes to work from the next two generations they they have taken care of the next two generation and i feel like this is not something that has to even do with music it has to do with the general culture of nigeria which is like which company do you know that you can think from your head that has lasted up to 100 years in nigeria i agree because people just don't believe that oh let's do this together everybody just get to a point where it's like ah i think we've gotten to this point let me go and open my own shop but just not understanding that oh i have a shop kilo has a shop how can we build this to a mall well you have your shop i have my shop and after you have your shop okay you specialize in let's say t-shirt and merchandise i do the music so okay for me if i move ten thousand copies of song you're going to move five thousand merchandise but sometimes we get to a point where we just don't understand that everybody just wants to be oh i'm the head of this i'm the head of this i'm the head of this so it's just understanding what could have been i miss that sometimes i see that i'm sad about it but no like no regrets because i believe everybody's happy emma is happy jesse is happy ice Prince is happy Brimo is happy. Everybody's doing what they, they should do. And one lesson I've learned from managing an artist over the year, managing a lot of artists over the year, is that you can't... Your vision is your vision. The artist has to have his own vision. So my vision might be like, let's build this together. Somebody's looking at this and I'm like, nah, this is not my vision. For the fact that I even have a one car, I'm okay. For the fact that I drive a Benz, I've arrived. And you are thinking, ah, this is your Benz in the next two years, right? You, you can drive with Phantom. You don't even need to pay for your Benz. You don't even need to pay for Phantom. You could create value in such a way that we could exchange this. But people are just thinking, oh no, I'm comfortable. So at the end of the day, it's about people's individual goals. And if this is what they want to do, it's fine. And just even understanding now, I'm live, I'm just saying, what's my own goal? What's my own? I have to think about me. So the whole breakup, the whole process was hard. Was that we just have to respect everybody and yeah, I understand. So you go from sweeping the studio and being the custodian of the studio key, yeah, to being yeah. MI's business manager in a, in a, like space of a few years, right? Now, do you think it was because of luck, hard work, or fate? Like, what do you think was responsible for that? Hmm. I think there's fate in it, and I not fate as not F A T E. Okay. I think like fate. F A I T H. In the sense that, like, you have to believe in what you do. And secondly, I believe in hard work. So when I came to Lagos, this is a funny story I always tell people is that. So I remember I bought a ticket to come to Lagos. I've spoken to Emma and I said, this was like 2008, I remember. I spoke to Emma and I told Emma, I said, I'm coming to Lagos. And I said, oh, you just finished mixing Genius Hour for Charles. Genius will be happy to have you. You'll be a plus to everybody. So he, I, I was like, okay, cool. I went to ABC. I remember ABC just there. I bought a ticket. Then the next day I called him. I'm like, oh, my ticket is for the next day in the morning. I'm going to come to Joss. I'm entering work. And then he was just like, oh, don't come. 
because Ice Prince just showed up, Jesse just showed up. There's, there might not be space. Ginny won't be happy. Because he was squatting with Ginny, everybody. So Ginny's house was full. So I'm just like, and already I've been posting how to, I've told how to, I'm going to show up. I, won't, I, I didn't show up. I'll show up. I won't show up. How to send me a text and said, yo, guy, if, if you're not coming this week, forget about this job. That's how I, I got tickets. I entered the bus. I came to Lagos. I didn't have a place to stay. I was in ABC Park. I was calling Emma. Emma, I didn't pick. Because Emma is very bad with his phone. I called Jesse finally. Jesse picked. Jesse sent me the address. I was like, guy, show up. I showed up to the house. Emma saw me. And I was just like, guy, I need a place to stay. Whatever I need to do, I need to, I will do. They were like, okay. That night, I, I remember it was like 12 midnight. They said, oh, they're selling fuel in Palm Grove. Do you, can you go buy fuel? I was just like, how do I get to Palm Grove? They're like, you climb back here. I went. Every morning before I go to work, I'll clean the house. I became so useful in the house that Ginny would be like, ah. Ginny was like, oh, the third room, you can stay there. Everybody, the other people will squat to you in that room. So for me, I was like, I just made up my mind if people are going to do two, I'm going to do three. Because I think at, at an early age, I understand value and I understand that, oh, why I got access to the key in the, in, in just in the studios was because I was bringing the value. I was sweeping, I was like making sure the studio was great. And then later, I later owned the studio. Then I realized that wherever I am, as long as I bring value, I'll be accepted. So just thinking about that, then I realized it's hard work. Because I, I might not be the smartest person in the room, I might, but I just know that if there's somebody, if it's hard work, I'm going to be the, I will be the person that works the most hard in the room. And that's very, very true. Yeah. Um, being MI's manager, right? Like lately, yeah. Um, on social media, it seems it just seems like MI, you know, um, puts his foot wrong. You know, <laughs> like that's that's been happening a lot lately. Um, on Twitter, um, someone's IG yeah. live, and you know, like people seem to misunderstand whatever he tries to say. You know, like he can't catch a break. So when things like that happen, and there's um apparent anger on twitter or whatever like how how do you as his manager like how do you guys like how how do you guys respond to that as a camp so you see one thing that made us gone this far is trust and it's like we, emma is like we have friendship we have brother brotherhood and it's like i try as much as i am never to second guess him so whatever people say like i try not to second guess like so this is how me and him will have a working relationship which I don't come, anything that has to do with creative, anything that has to do with putting out content, creative, this is the direction, that's his job. And he has been that for a long time. A lot of people won't know that he, from his first album, second album, he produced his, the first album, he produced the second album, even the one they said Jesse produced, he was sort of executive producing down to Brimo's album. Once the album is done, he listens to it and says, oh, let's add these take out this even when i, I mix and master really cool he, before I, so what works before i mix and master he has to listen to the songs and say okay let's add this let's take this he is a creative genius when it comes to that so i don't come between that so if this is how he wants to do he should do but obviously there's guidance I'm like oh this is this is it this is it and another thing again you have to realize that emma is the same people that are educated to the next level and the way he talks about it is different from the, people, the way other people think. 
you get so he might say one thing like i saw a tweet where he said about father something and everybody in twitter took it wrong and then i was just like if you listen to kanye west album before this explains it so sometimes and communication matters but the bottom line of this is i trust him so i don't interfere with his creative process because i trust and believe in him and it's not that every time he, he puts his ideas there he always gets it right but if he puts out 10 he always gets it seven so the best i could do is to okay. trust it, you mentioned brian one just uh, you know something occurred to me like there's there's uh, this trend i don't know if i should call it a trend but there's um there's a pattern of nigerian artists right breaking their contracts with their labels right and usually the their fans are on their side right because they tend to take the position of the underdog in in that relationship like the relationship with the label right so it's it's uh, it's normal that the fans you know support their their artists now but can you speak to that from from the side of the label now because most times people don't get to hear from the label or whenever they do it's kind of like um like a press release and it's very you know very rigid so can you speak to can you speak to that from your own side yeah so i think first thing first is that the model of a record company label is failing like what's the business business is all about models and principles um, and processes so let's say you have a, like before you used to do a merchandise business so if you're selling your business you're selling the processes and the method so i'm going to get my this is where i get my shirts this is where I'm going to print. This is what I'm going to do. This is my retail outlet. This is that process is what your business is all about. So if you perfect your, that process well, then you know you have a great business. The core of a record business is failing. Record business is dying. No matter who you are, you have to believe record business is dying. That's why a lot of people are signing 360 deal. And when I say record business is dying, before studios, studios used to be expensive. A normal person can rent studios. For you to get your songs on radio is very expensive. For you to break one song, you need like $5 million. So, so what, how you spend your money before is, I'm going to go to a studio. Studio sessions are expensive. I'm going to get great producer. It's expensive. I record the song. Bring the master. Give it to this guy. This guy has the channel to distribute to all the radio stations in the world. He distributes. He's going to do payola. He's going to place the song up. That whole process consumes money. But now it's easier because now with a millionaire, you, you have a good studio in your house. You record your song yourself. After recording your song yourself, you're going to go to your social media. And most times your re- social media now have more followers than the radio station sometimes. But it doesn't have more reach. But, it, but the good thing about it is that it, it, there's direct marketing. So your fans are ready. When Whiskey has a song now, he doesn't need to go to a radio station. He can sit down and then he posts it. So now, because it has changed, now record label is no more about the office, the whole process. There's a personality to a record label. That's why if you see record labels that are successful now, there's a personality to it. So it's like, if I, if I ask you, who are the top record label, once you call them, there's a personality attached to. But they still have few exceptions. So because that model is failing, a lot of artists can say, oh, I can do this by myself. So first problem is, that I think the system is failing one. Second problem is, this is why I always tell people, every young artist is signed, artists have a three stage in their life. The first stage is the dobale. The first stage is they're going to come and say, oh, what do you want? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to beg you. Whatever you want. Artists will come and meet you and say, Oga, 
sign me. Take 90% of my earnings, give me 10%. I just want to blow. Then the second stage, you have an artist. That's the second stage where the artist will be like, oh, this guy is my guy. So the artist has grown, has gotten to a point where this guy is my guy. He can't talk to me anyhow. Then they get to a third stage where the artist feel like he makes money more than the exec. exec. Then that's the fuck you stage where the artist will be like, this guy is calling me, he's disturbing me. I don't want to go for this show. I won't show. And he will just be like, if you disturb me too much, I'm going to leave. So those are the stages. And when you understand that, you understand that that's how people are. I know when you asked me about the evolution of the whole Chuck Boys thing, I spoke about people always grow up. And I feel like we artists too, they always do. So like when artists get to a point where they are just like, I don't need this, then they grow. They just don't want to do it. So talking about most times you see where artists will sign a deal. They'll be like, oh, I signed two years deal. I signed three year deal. Halfway through the deal, the artist will be like, I'm not doing and because social media is free, the guy will go to social media and badmouth you. And then things will happen. And then because the, the rule of law is not even ex- respected in Nigeria. And then back to, you know, when I told you that there was no music industry, it's just people that came and created this music industry. There was no supporting law. There's no... So it's people that created this industry. So where do you go to fight your case? So I feel that that happens. And then with artists, sometimes it's that most artists always grow bigger than the label. And when they grow, so it's like, if I'm signing somebody now, I always have a conversation with them. I say, when you get to a point, what's your next plan? There's going to be a time, if you're very successful, you're going to be bigger than your label. Because Whiskey got to a point where Whiskey was bigger than AME. And so he needed a bigger power. Because for Sony, so people don't understand that David Doe, Whiskey, they're both signed to Sony. So, you need mm-hmm. when you get to that point, you need you need like a million dollars. You need ten million dollars, which is about couple one. You need at least if you convert it to Nigerian money, like two million dollars, like one point something billion. Who is going to get that in Nigeria to invest in one song? So you need people that Sony in Nigeria alone have like five million songs. So if they are making one dollar from one song a day, they are making five million dollars. So for them to burn two million dollars on whiskey, three million dollars is chicken change. So you need somebody to take you to that next level because at that level, you need to shoot videos worth of $300,000, $400,000. You need to be able to go to Brazil for an interview. You need to cross borders. You need to go. So when you get to that realm, it takes a lot of money. So, and that's why I always ask people that no big artist in Nigeria has blown out of the shop this Nigerian without a big label because it takes big money. But most artists, they don't understand that. Because they don't sit down and study and say, okay, this is what the trend is. This is what, this is how I need to do. This is how I need to plan. This is how I go. So some, so for the record label, is now we have to sit back and say, okay, how do we need to start signing contracts that protect us? So that when the artist wakes up and say, oh, I want to leave tomorrow. I don't like you. I'm not feeling this. Or the artist gets to a stage where he's going to say, fuck you. Because it's going to happen. How do I, how do I work and I, how don't I lose? You get so you see, sometimes it's like, we just need to know, okay, when we get to that stage where you feel like you can't do this, how do we recoup our money? How do you go? How do we go? I feel like everybody in his, like, you know how football works? In football, people have like, what's your release clause? How much will I pay once I want to leave? Like, I feel like music contract needs to be that comp- that detailed. And you see like music, football, like other sports, is that they have evolved over time. Like, I'm, I was looking at the contract like they used to give footballers like 40 years ago. Like, I was looking per decade. The contract changes, changes over time. 
So with music is that we need to evolve. We need to start changing contract and say, okay, what contract worked in Nigeria? Look at the best case people that have worked in Nigeria. And say, okay, Emma has been in Chocolate City for 10 years. Why has Emma been in Chocolate City for 10 years? Is it his personality? Is it loyalty? What, what works for him? Let's take it. Who is other person? Um, let's say somebody, let's say Mohit or Mavin has somebody that has been there. Let's calculate and say, why, why did this guy leave? Why? Let's tell the answer, okay, what can we add to this contract for the next generation? What can we do? Because if we don't, the funny thing, and this is why we tell people, is that the, the white people are coming to take over the industry. Because all our top artists are signed to foreign labels. From David Dove to Whiskey to Tiwa to Techno to Bonner Boy. Nobody that is huge in Nigeria that is not signed to a foreign label. So how do you think we can mitigate against that? Is it uh, by... Because like you said, um, music is very capital intensive. And at the level at which these guys are playing, mm. if any at all, we have very few people who can you know, put this kind of funds together. We don't have the infrastructure, basically, to support those guys. So how, how do you think, what, what's the workaround? What do I think we, we need to start creating processes. We need to start creating. We need to start saying how much... I can tell you if an artist is hot in a year, the next two years, an artist can make 500 million. Any business that can make 500 million in two years or three years with not much staff, and your profit margin is like 70%, is huge business. So it's like, how do we start creating structure and processes to this that I can carry my contract and say, okay, if I have an artist, an artist is doing 2 million per show, he can get 10 shows from Nigerian Brewers a year. I have a contract with him. Next artist, I, the same artist, I go to Glow and say, okay, he's going to do 10 shows for 2, 2 million. Ha, give me a contract. I go to this, have the agreement. How can I take that money and go to the bank and have a conversation with the bank? So it goes back to building processes. And saying that I have one song. If I have a copyright on your song, I have a master right on your song, I can make money off that song for a lifetime and a half. So how do I create? Like when you talk about Sony, Sony is expensive. Sony, like I was reading that Sony make how many billion dollars per, per year or per quarter. Why did they make so much money? Is because of the level of catalog they have. And with that, it's like Warner Music is, run, is launching a new IPO. Universal have an IPO. So it's like, in, we need to start meeting the government. We need to start creating policies that are going to help us operate in that level. You know how banks have regulation, how every sector you go to have regulation, have industry. The same thing with the movie industry. Like from one movie, you could make like about 200 income streams from one movie. But how are we treating this process? It's like how, like Netflix just came, look at how much we've made. These people are coming, how much they make? And let me tell you, what people don't realize is that if we don't create the structure, Genevieve will be the highest person that was ever paid by Netflix. It keeps on going. The money keeps on shrinking, 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 shrinking. Then they have so much Nigerian content that they'll start dictating the terms to us. Because this business is a law of demand and supply. That's how music to work. So we need to start creating the process. We need to start saying, this government is not doing only during election that they'll call, call us to sing for them. Let's have the conversation. Let's go and meet them and say, this is like, let me give you a perfect example. Koson have been fighting with a lot of artists. And there's a law that says you can only have one collective society. And Koson have so much money. They are generated so much money. Koson shares sometimes, they don't share sometimes. You meet Koson and say, oh, have you shared the money? They'll be like, oh, I don't have records to share money. 
because the artists haven't come to claim their money. So like even with us, we need to create that transparency that will create the structure that make people believe that's the only way we can make that happen. Okay. Um, you, you, you talked about revenue. Mm. And uh, from my limited knowledge, like from me looking in from the outside, Nigerian artists yeah. basically have two main streams of income, if you yeah. ask me. Streaming and shows. Yeah. I feel like we have more. And, Number okay. one is like, okay, show is live, one life. You have endorsement. You have social media now is a huge platform to make money. You're an influencer. You have social media, one, another platform. You have publishing. Publishing is huge. Do you know Michael Jackson estate alone? Do you know how much it was worth? So let me explain to you how a song works. One song is divided by 200. 200. 100% of the song is your master right. 100 is your publishing. Master right is like if I come and invest, like the record company, when I invest, I, I shoot your video, I pay, your, pay for your music, music, I pay for promotion, I push you, I have rights to your masters. That's one. But then you have your rights for your publishing. Your publishing is your right. That is your intellectual property. Unless you sign away your rights. With some laws, you can't. Some countries, you can't. Some, you can't. So, without your publishing... So, if I get my song played on BitFM, BitFM owes me publishing, no master of right. That's why BitFM pays the artist. They, they won't pay the label. But in Nigeria, nobody pays for publishing. If I go to a hotel, I perform my song. A hotel is a venue. A hotel is supposed to pay licensing fee every year. They're supposed to pay publishing for me to come perform that song. Because... All the bar in Lagos, all the churches that sing worship, all the places that make money from when you play the people's song, they should pay. They pay publishing. When you go to America, they pay. Like clubs pay for music license in the advanced country. Those are revenues. So just thinking, I could think about 10 ways of making money. But it's not feasible in Nigeria because we have not created the structures. Okay, it seems like, uh, you know, like for every two steps, you take like three back. Because I thought after we, we finally got him free from the clause of the Alaba boys and, you know, with the democratization of everything via the internet, I thought things would be, you know, things were much better. But it sounds like there's still a whole lot to do in terms of infrastructure. Yeah. In it's like, in you see, like I always tell people about institutionally, institution void. Is that saying that the certain void we create by solving one problem? It's like there's a process from Alaba, Nigeria. You have to understand Nigeria. The whole of Nigeria, I don't know. I think it's not up to 20 million people that have access to internet or phone or stuff. So. There are only 20 million people that have access to music in the society of 200 million people. So if you take out Alaba, people are going to look for how to get music. If you go to Computer Village now with your flash, there's somebody that you're going to pay 200 naira. That 200 naira, the person will give you a thousand songs in your flash. But before Alaba, pirate 10 songs per CD. And we allow by Labour pays for masters. Labour will come and give the label or the owner of the song master. I could tell that see when the Labour was popping, I could tell there's some artists I know that Labour was paying 20 million naira per album. There's some artists I know that Labour has given 30 million naira for one album. There's some a project I know Labour has bought for like 20. Like huge. If I tell you how much they gave the plantation boys, three of them to come back and do that plantation project, you'll be shocked. Alaba was paying, but the problem was there was no structure to that. So you take that out, there's a demand for music, is what are you replacing music with? So now there's technology that you could move song from one place to another. How do you monitor that? So there's deeper problem. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's structure. How do we create structure to protect? Okay. So, um, like right now, we are all going through the coronavirus pandemic, right? The COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. How do you see this affecting the music industry in the short to medium term? Mm. 
So f- before I answer this, I'm going to say the music business is not going to be the same. It's not the same. It's not this year. It's not the same. To next year, maybe things will come back, and there will be a new normal. The new normal won't be the no- new normal we knew before coronavirus. There'll be a lot of things that will change. So when you, when I go back to say what are our revenue sources of revenue, how do I make money before? If my budget for a year is hundred million, let's say I expect to make twenty million from content. 30 million from endorsement, the rest from live shows. So I know nobody's doing because there's distance, social distance. Nobody's coming together to do show for the next, let's say till August or December, nobody's coming. So that revenue is dead. But a lot of companies are advertising. I've seen every company is doing Insta Live. All the artists on Insta Live are they monetizing that because it's cross promotion. By the time I rob you, I'm, I come and have an Insta Live with you. It's cross-promotion. You're promoting my platform and promoting your platform. If I'm an artist, the brand is calling me for that. There should be some money. Like, I should make something of it. That's another source of income. Now, people, people pay attention more to music. People will listen to more music. Is my music positioned right to the platform so I can make the most money I should make? So, so it's like one income has shown, but the other income would, would make money. And even before this whole coronavirus thing, I felt like there was a bigger problem we're dealing with, which is there were so many artists, so much music. The, anywhere you're going to get music, you have so many options. There's a year, I think, last two years or last year, Davido and Whiskey. Whiskey put out more hit songs than Davido that year, but Davido was the bigger artist that year because that year alone, Davido had Shama Drama, had Losing His Best Friend, had, because music has passed just the stage of just song. Music is in the place where you're fighting for top of mind. So it's like, how, how much attention of yours can I get? And that top of mind, that's the same thing your Netflix is fighting for. That's the same thing your family is fighting for. That's the same thing person that is selling Coke is fighting for. So that top of mind. So you have to be top of mind. You have to create that top of mind on your fans' mind. So you know they think about your music all through the time. I agree. So basically... It won't be business as usual, no, right? No, yeah. And uh, as one, like they say, like as one door closes, another one is opening. You just, you just have to be aware and alert to, you know, what opportunities are popping up while others are yeah. shrinking. Right? And as a, I think, like this, why an artist you need a manager, because at times like this, this is where you need to have a goal. I say, okay, I will making ten million naira this year. If we're not, if we're making ten million naira, how do we re-strategize? We're not going to make money from life. Who are the brands managers that I need to be close to that we could do campaign, we could do online campaign? Do I need to post for a brand 10 times? Do I need to be closer to this? And when this corona thing ends, a lot of brands are going to spend more money. But how do they spend the money? Am I going to be at the forefront when they're spending the money? So all those conversations. So that boils down to those channels that you had that you're not making much. Now it's like, how do you develop those channels to start making more money? Mm, makes sense uh, there's something i've always wanted to ask you because uh, you've been in the game for a long yeah. time right as a manager do you choose your artist mm. so i feel like this question is very important which is as a manager first you have to ask yourself what's your goal why are you a manager what are you managing like a lot of artists are going to reach out to me and say oh we're looking for a manager let's work together and i ask them how much do you make do you have a hot song You'd be like, no. Then I'm like, you can't afford me. You can't afford yourself. 
So like, so why do I want to add more stress on my life? So first thing first for an artist, for a manager, you need to define what your goal is. An artist, you need to define your goal. So what's my goal? And what can I take? What can I take? After goal, what are my values? And what are my values? They, you could be like, oh, if I manage you, what am I bringing to the table? Because I always advise everybody around me, like, once you're a manager, your relationship needs to be value-driven, not friendship. Because the day, once you have to start popping, there are going to be people that are always going to reach out to your artists and be like, ah, I can do a better job than your manager. But the only thing that will save you as a manager is your value. And the value you bring to the table. So like with all the artists I've worked with, every year I sit down and say, what do you want? What do you want to achieve? And we draw a plan. We say, this is my financial target. This is my other target. They will draw a plan. I'll say, this year, after year, we sit down and say, did I meet my target? Did you, the artist, meet your target? Why didn't I meet my target? Why didn't you meet your target? Then we could discuss our working next year. Because some people just want a manager that is going to hang out with them. Some artists want manager that is going to smoke with them. Some artists want managers that are going to bring babes for them. So if you want to be a manager because you want to flex, that one is there. There are some managers that have more followers than their artists. If that's what your goal is, fine. Do you want to be? Fine. So you have to define what your goal. And then when you meet your artists, if your goal aligns, fine. Because artists have different goals. Some artists just want to hang out and play. Some people want to change the world. Some people just want to make money. So it depends on who do you have a goal that aligns with that you can work with. As a manager, how do you evolve? And just having conversations. Like I see a lot of managers that I've respected. And I see them, yes, like they'll have one of the biggest artists in the country. I see them the next year. They're not with the artists. Things are bad. They're looking for 5K, 10K. And for me, it's like, how do you evolve from a manager to an exec? Like, I've seen people that have done that, like Ubi Franklin. I've seen people like Issa. I've seen, like, they have evolved. But I've seen a lot of people that haven't evolved. So now, for me, I'm more passionate about, okay, how do we evolve? How do we bridge the gap between the creative people and the talent? The creative industry and the business industry. Because for you to evolve as a great manager, you have to understand both worlds. You have to understand and say, okay, this is how the creative industry thing. This is how the business industry thing. This is what I could bring these two people together and start creating value and make money. Even if my artist is not more relevant, I'll make more money. So like, so I started a company on the chocolate called Being Creative. And what we do in Being Creative is we bring the two worlds together. And we have clients. We have like Penoricard, which is a client. We have a couple of NGOs. We have like five top clients. So what we're doing is saying, like Penoricard, we're saying, they have material, they have Jameson, they have all those brands. This is, you want people to come to these outlets to, to pop bottles to drink. The outlets want to move sales so your bottles can go up. If an artist comes, the artist is going to create. So how do we manage this process that you don't even need to interface with the artist, even though the artist is nasty, but the artist come and drive sales for you, drive volume. With that one, we create a whole ecosystem and we can track the revenue from artists. We can try to make the industry have more standards. So, like, that's something I'm passionate about. That's what we're building with a company called Being Creative in Chocolate City. Mm. Mm. Man, Don, I just want to thank you for taking the time out. I understand how busy you must be. And um, for you to take all this time to just talk to me, I truly, truly appreciate it. No problem, it. bro. Hey, Kelo here again. Thank you for taking time out to listen. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode. 
You can stay ahead on new drops by subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and by joining the conversation on our Instagram and Twitter pages. 